Pearls for Pigs continues tonight with the third installment in a series of messages where we've been addressing some modern day idols that compete for the throne of our hearts. So I want us to meet in Luke chapter 12 tonight and we'll start reading in verse 13 here in just a few moments. But in this passage, Jesus is teaching a very large crowd of people when someone in the crowd barks out a command to Jesus. Now, I'm all about interaction, and you guys know that. I love interactive crowds when I'm teaching because it lets me know that you're engaged. But this guy barks out something in the middle of Jesus giving a lesson on life that, as far as I can tell in Scripture and in the surrounding passages, has absolutely nothing to do with anything that Jesus has been teaching. It's kind of off the wall. A little bit but it sets the scene by which we will be addressing our next idol tonight which if you haven't been able to tell already is the idol of money Luke chapter 12 starting in verse 13 the scriptures read someone in the crowd said to him teacher tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me now remember I said Jesus is teaching a large crowd and in the middle of him teaching, this guy blurts out, Hey, teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. Now you can read around all the surrounding passages. I promise you, I have not found anything that shows this had anything to do with what Jesus was teaching on. But Jesus, being the greatest teacher that ever walked on the face of this good earth, uses it as a teachable moment. And look at what he says, verse 14, But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, here comes the teachable moment, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So was the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. For the next few moments, I want to speak to you from the subject of fool's gold. In a lot of ways, Tonight, I'm just going to tell you out front, in a lot of ways, this message is for the future you. It may not necessarily be for you tonight, but it will be for you two, three, four, five years down the road. Because I know as college students, as young adults, the only struggle y'all seem to have with money is not having any. Right? And I feel you. I've been through that struggle myself, but please, please lock into these truths tonight because this idol may not have a throne in your life yet, but it could possibly be building one. We've all heard the saying that money makes the world go round. In some ways, I guess that's true. It is one of those things that you kind of have to have 
as you go through life, you have to have a job, you have to earn a living so you can have somewhere to live and you can put food on the table and you can go home and flick a light switch and all the lights come on and you can take a hot shower at the end of the day if you want to. So I understand money is one of those things that we kind of have to have. But when our perspective, listen, when our perspective towards money turns into something that we pursue instead of something that we earn, then we just took a dangerous turn towards idolatry. And I'll say it again because I think it's important. When your perspective, the way that you view, in other words, money, materials, possession, when your perspective towards money turns to something that you pursue, this is something that I chase after, instead of something that I earn from putting a hard day's work in, you just took a dangerous turn towards making this an idol in your life. And I know it's like, come on, Trey, give us something relevant tonight. Give us something practical. I made an effort to be here. I could be at home studying. I've got group projects. I've got discussion boards. I've got papers I could be writing. Give me something relevant. I come in here so you can talk to me about money. I don't have no money. Why don't you give me something relevant? I, if I would have known this was the idol that you were going to talk about tonight, I wouldn't even bother to show up. We're not even tempted to idolize money. Trey. We don't have any. How can we be tempted by something that we don't have? Yet I wonder how many of you chose a degree or a career field based on salary potential? Instead, instead of something that you're passionate about, let me, let me ask you something. Would y'all ever want to hear your doctor walk in the room one day and you ask him, hey, doc, why'd you choose to be a doctor? It's for the money. I wouldn't want to hear my doctor say that. He better be passionate about wanting to help people. He better be passionate about studying medicine. He better be somebody that reads on his field while he's in the job, not just doing it for the money. I'm just doing it for the money. <laughs> what do you mean you just do it for the money? I, just, I got into college one day, and I saw, man, potential was there. Make some big bucks being a doctor, so I just thought, why not? I wonder how many of you in here tonight have chosen a degree or career field based off of salary potential. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. And I know this is one of those messages I'm going to be real careful with on how it comes across. Because it's not a bad thing, okay? But you got to be careful about the way in which you pursue this thing. You had better choose something that you're passionate about. What in the world happened? You better choose something that you're passionate about, not just for its salary potential. I never thought that I would struggle with the idol of money either until I started earning some. And then it's funny how quick all of a sudden it became a struggle and a temptation in my life. This is why I say this message is quite possibly for the future you. It is hard to struggle with something that you don't yet have. But you're going to have it one day. And so if we can put some parameters in place tonight that can help you avoid setting this idol up in your life, then that we have accomplished something. Jesus tells this parable about a man that had great wealth. and Notice that he doesn't describe the man by his wealth, though. Jesus always chooses not to describe or highlight people by the things that the world wants to highlight them by. This man was very wealthy, he was very rich, but Jesus doesn't choose to describe him that way. As a matter of fact, Jesus decides to describe him as what? A fool. 
Why? Why would Jesus call this man a fool? Well, because this man's life was bound up in things, wealth, stuff, and possessions that he found in this world. That's why he was foolish. Jesus said this man is not a fool just because he has a lot of money. He's a fool because his life is bound up in it. And the idol of money produced within this man a false sense of some things that I want to help show you tonight. So look at the person next to you and tell them, let's get this bread. Y'all better appreciate that too because it took me all afternoon to work that one in. This idol produced a false sense of some things in this guy's life. And the first thing that it produced a false sense of was significance. The idol of money will produce within you a false sense of significance. Go back and look at verse 16 with me. It says, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grains and my goods. This man experiences a bountiful harvest. He has more than he can store. Now I want to make a point right here. When you get to a place in your life, that you have more than you can store, then it is past time that you start sharing some things. God does not fill your life with an abundance just so you can hoard it all up for yourself. God told Abraham, I will bless you to be a blessing. So when you get to a place in your life and you realize all of a sudden as a believer, as a child of God, I've got more than I can store, your past time that you should have been sharing it with the other people around you. So this guy says, I'll build bigger barns for myself since I don't have room in these little small sissy barns that I have. I'm doing pretty good for myself. I'll just build some bigger ones. That way I can store all my goods in there. And it seems like a good business decision in all honesty. It may seem kind of harsh to pick on the guy, right, for just making what seems like a good ethical business decision. When I have a surplus, well, then I create room for the surplus so I can gain what? More surplus. And so he builds bigger barns, but the problem is, not the decision that he made in his mind, but the attitude and the affections of his heart, which is what Jesus saw. Jesus knew that this man was bound up in all of his possessions because the focus is purely upon himself. I'll build bigger barns. That way everyone can see how much I'm worth. That way everybody can see how significant I am, how important I am. How worthy of attention I am. He thinks that his significance, his status, his importance, and his value is measured by his money and his stuff. And we develop this mindset within our own lives because, honestly, we portray this mindset on other people. And here's a real indicator of how you can tell that an idol of money might be set up in your life is because you will project this on other people. We'll see the size of their house. We'll see the car that they drive. We'll see the clothes that they wear. We'll see the shoes on their feet. And by those things, we will project significance upon those people. I'm guilty of doing it myself. And I feel like you guys will be too at a later stage in life when you get out of college and you get in the working world, you know, and you're living in an apartment or you've got you a little 1,200 square foot house like we do. You know, at first, you're just thankful to have it, right? But then after you've been there for a while, you begin to look around at what everybody else has at your age. And you're like, well, that guy's the same age as me. They got like a 2,800 square foot house. I don't like a 1,200 square foot house. 
Well, she's the same age as I am. I'm driving around a beat-up 4Runner. It's got 375,000 miles on it. And she's driving around in a Lexus. That's not right. I've been wearing the same pair of Adidas for the past three and a half years. He's walking around in them Yeezys. What in the world am I doing wrong? You begin to project this significance upon those people. They must be important. They must be somebody. They must have really made it in the world. They must have everything going for them. You see what I'm getting at? You project this false sense of significance upon them. Significance doesn't come through your abundance of things. Jesus said that from the beginning. Be careful about developing an idol of money in your life because your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. But we think for some reason that makes us significant. And you'll think that when this idol gets set up in your heart, but it's a false significance. There was a second thing, there was a second false sense that it gave this guy. It's not just a false significance, but it's also a false security. Go back and look at verse 19, the first part of verse 19. So he builds his bigger barns, he shoves all his junk in there, and then he says, And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. This man takes all of his goods and he stores them in a quote-unquote safe place for years to come. His retirement fund, so to speak. I don't see anything in Scripture about Jesus giving people advice to open up a savings account. I don't see anything in Scripture about Jesus giving financial advice about how you should have a 401k or a Roth or an IRA. I don't see Jesus ever walking into Wells Fargo and setting up a retirement fund. Now, once again, I want to be careful about how I say this. It is okay to be a good steward. It is okay to take proper steps to be responsible with the money that you earn here on this earth and to provide a living for yourself and for your family. I'm not dissing on that whatsoever. All I'm saying is, what's the point in hoarding it all up if you can't take it all with you? It's just something to think about. So at this point, the idol of money produces a dangerous mindset of being self-sufficient. And the reason this is dangerous is because a person who believes themselves to be self-sufficient has no need for God anymore. The idol of money, as it begins to get stronger and stronger in your life and it develops this false sense of security within you, will decimate your prayer life. You know why? Because now that I have all this stuff, now that i got these big barns, and i got all this stuff thrown in there with me, and I can, I can relax, man. Look, soul, hey, I'll say to my soul, soul, you've got ample goods laid up for many years. You know what that does? That puts you in a position where you no longer have to pray, God, give me this day my daily bread. Because I don't need daily bread, God. I've been saving bread. I'm good to go on bread. I'm good, God, with the bread. And so your prayer life disappears. You're self-sufficient. Jesus taught this lesson about bread, since we're talking about it tonight so much. Jesus taught the Israelites a very good lesson about bread and storing it up for themselves when they were in the wilderness, joy. God would provide manna from heaven. Each and every day, he would provide them manna from heaven. But he told them, this manna is only good for today, joy. Don't take this manna, joy, and scoop it all up and save it for tomorrow. It's only good for today. But what happened was, Joy didn't want to trust God fully. She had this false sense of security and all this stuff. So when the manna would rain down, Joy would get her basket out there, and she would pick up all the pieces of manna that she could. 
thinking, okay, just in case, just, hey, God, I trust you. I trust, I know that you're going to give me the manna, God. But just in case you don't, just in case the manna rain percentage drops from 100 to zero, I'm going to have some stored up in case. And you know what would happen, Joy? You'd wake up the next morning and your manna would have maggots in it. No good. That's the problem when you hoard stuff. Because it always seems like a bunch of hoarded leftovers sitting in your fridge sooner or later develops a problem with insects. False sense of security. This man thought, I'm good for years and years to come. He feels safe. He feels secure. I've got enough to take care of myself now. And all of his dependence is now placed on his abundance. This idol will tempt you with feelings of security. Let me show you. If I, if I had more money, if I had more money, I wouldn't have to worry or be anxious. If I had more money, then if something unexpected happened, I could take care of it, no problem. If I had more money, then I would know that my family, that my spouse, that my kids, that my grandkids were taken care of. I wouldn't have to worry about their well-being in the future. If I had more, 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 I would feel better. I would feel more safe. I would feel more secure. But Jesus says, you fool. Tonight, your life is required of you. This is a false sense of security. Money does not bring you security. But there's one last false sense that it gave this guy wasn't just that it gave him a false sense of significance or security. It also gave him a false sense of satisfaction. Look at this last half of verse 19. So he stores it all up in his barns. He says to himself, soul, got plenty saved up. Ample goods for years to come. Now check out what he says. It's time to relax. It's time to eat. It's time to drink. It's time to be merry. Toward the end of the story, Jesus tells us that this man says, I can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now that I have plenty, I'm satisfied. Time to enjoy it. But the truth is, he wasn't satisfied. He thought he was. But he really wasn't. And I want to show you how we know this. Remember at the beginning of the text, Jesus said that he was already rich before he came into more. Look, at, look back at the very beginning of it. Verse 14, he answers the man about his question, man who made me a judge or arbitrator over you, and he said to him, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. This man was already rich before the land produced an abundance for him. And so this is how we know that even in his rich well-being, he wasn't satisfied because he was already rich before the land produced plentifully. Yet when it did produce its abundance, he saw an advantage to gain more and he took it. He wasn't satisfied 
If he was satisfied, he would have been satisfied before the harvest, before the land produced plentifully. But instead, he saw an opportunity that we know as a simple word called greed. And he said, here's a chance for me to get even more than what I already have. Here's the danger of this idol. The more you feed an appetite for wealth and possessions, the hungrier it gets. This appetite never gets satisfied. It will never be enough money. It will never be enough stuff. It will never be enough possessions. Your house will never be big enough. Your car will never be new enough. Your fashion will never be up to date enough. It will never ever be enough. The more you feed this appetite, the hungrier it gets. It's like sitting down with your friends and playing a game of Hungry Hippos. Do y'all remember that game? I mean, the stuff gets thrown out there in front of you and you're like, you get mad and you really want to win, so you like pick the board up and tilt it towards your hippo and you're just like, it's never enough. It's never enough now that I have this house, this car, and it's never enough that I have this pay grade. That's what it'll be one day for you guys. You'll get in the working world. Entry-level position, somebody will give you a salary. It'll be the greatest thing ever because it's 20,000 times more than what you've ever made in your life. And then after you're there for two years, it won't be enough anymore. It's funny how that happens. You walk in on the interview one day and you get the job and I say, Hey, congratulations, Joy. Joy, you learned your lesson with the manna. Congratulations, Joy. You've got the job. We're going to start you out at $30,000. Joy gets in the car, starts crying tears of happiness. She's like, thank you, God. $30,000? Oh, my goodness. Like, it's the most amazing thing ever. Joy works there for three years. I wonder when I'm going to get a raise. This ain't enough, God. I'm tired of being in this apartment. I'm tired of this little house. I'm tired of driving this piece of junk car. When are you going to bump me up, God? Because it gives you a false sense of satisfaction. All that being said, this is what I want you to see as the big picture. Remember my title? It's Fool's Gold. Fool's Gold is an actual mineral. It's called pyrite. And it bears remarkable resemblance to. And it often gets mistaken for real gold. And so the term itself was born out of the mining period for when miners would walk into a cave and find this pyrite and mistake it for actual real gold. And they would take it to market and the guy would look at it and he'd say, this ain't the real thing, man. It just resembles the real thing. And he would walk out of the store feeling like a what? Feeling like a fool. In, in modern day terms, it can be meant with, with this sense. It's an investment that appears promising, but underlying, it actually has no value whatsoever. That's what happens when you idolize money and possessions. It'll make a fool out of you. It looks promising. It looks like it'll bring significance into your life. It looks like it'll make me important. It looks like it'll show that my life is worth value. It looks promising when it comes to security, if I have more of it in my life, and I don't have to worry about things. I don't have to worry about paying the bills. I don't have to worry about buying groceries. I don't have to worry about my family one day when I'm gone and I'm not here to take care of them anymore. It, it looks promising, but it's false. It's fake. It's fool stuff. It looks promising when it comes to satisfaction. If I can just have more money, I can have more stuff. My life will be satisfied. It will finally satisfy this hunger that I have. 
to have something bigger and better and better. But that's fool stuff, man. It's false. It looks promising on the outside, but underlying, there's absolutely no value whatsoever. Jack Whitaker was already a millionaire when he won $350 million jackpot in a lottery in West Virginia in 2007. The then 55-year-old West Virginia construction company president claimed that he went broke about four years later and lost a daughter and granddaughter to drug overdoses, which he blamed on the curse of the Powerball win. My granddaughter is dead because of the money, he told ABC. You know, my wife had said she wished that we had torn the ticket up. Well, I wish that we had torn the ticket up, too. Whitaker was also robbed of 545000 sitting in his car while he was at the strip club eight months after winning the lottery. I just don't like Jack Whitaker, he said of himself. I don't like the hard heart I've got, he said. I don't like what I've become. Abraham Shakespeare was murdered in 2009 after he won a $30 million lotto jackpot. His brother, Robert Brown, told the BBC that Abraham always said he regretted winning the lottery. I'd have been better off broke. He said that to me all the time, Brown said. Donna Minkin won $34.5 million in the New York State Lottery in 2007. She said the big win ruined her life and led to emotional bankruptcy. Most of us think that winning the lottery is the ultimate fulfillment, but I found that wasn't the case, she wrote in a blog. If you ask me, my life was hijacked by the lottery. A Pentecostal preacher. So I... I threw this one in here just because, y'all know, like, we're the Christian group, and we're like, man, Trey, I wouldn't do that. I, I'd honor Jesus with the lottery if I wanted. If I hit the jackpot, man, I'd give all the nice good stuff. I'd buy all this. I'd give a tithe to the church. Man, I'd build them some new buildings. We'd get some new pews and some new stained glass windows and all that good stuff. Just in case, I think that might be you. A Pentecostal preacher working as a stock boy at Home Depot got his prayers answered when he hit the $31 million Texas jackpot in 1997. At first, life was good with Billy Bob because he's from Texas. And I don't think there's ever been a more Texan name in history. Reportedly quit his job, traveled to Hawaii, bought a ranch, six other homes, and new cars. So he spurs a little on himself. But then he thought, nah, I'm a preacher. I got to do something for the glory of God. I got to do something that's nice. He donated 480 turkeys to the poor. I, I don't know if they were live or <laughs> they were actually cooked. just says 480 turkeys. So I don't know if he walked up to these poor people and said, you know, here's a live turkey and just let it loose in their house. But anyway, but like many others who win the lottery, he ran into financial trouble. Media reports say he eventually divorced and died by suicide. Shortly before his death, he told a financial advisor that winning the lottery is the worst thing that ever happened to me. This is fool's gold, ladies and gentlemen. Let me tell you something. Let me give you a few more extra facts. There are more suicides above the poverty line. There is more depression above the poverty line. There is more anxiety above the poverty line. You want to know why? Because this is a false sense of significance, security, and satisfaction. Only Jesus can bring significance into your life. 
Only Jesus can give you security that comes through a hope and a peace that is unspeakable in Him. Only Jesus can bring satisfaction that will fill the God-sized hole in your heart. Nobody but Him. Don't be a fool. Why trade the pearl of gaining Christ for trying to gain the pig of money and possessions? Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.